there's different types of investment profiles, even within the multifamily space. So number one, know what you're looking for. And then number two, start to educate yourself about, you know, what is multifamily and what makes a, uh, I'm not going to say safe investment, what type of investments match your risk to reward profile. Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments and Berkwood Capital. Your hosts, Linda Brooks and Lisa Hill, are two dynamic multifamily investor syndicators who combined have more than 400 doors in their portfolio and growing. Join them on their journey as they show you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing. And they'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here are your hosts, Linda and Lisa. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another knowledge-rich episode of the Multifamily Investor Ladies Podcast. I'm Lisa Hill. And I'm Linda Brooks. And we are a couple of investor syndicators who combined have over 400 doors valued at nearly $18 million in our portfolio. And we are growing. And we're dedicated to helping educate you on how you can grow your passive investing portfolio as well. And today's guest is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sharing some good practical advice that works. Brian Briscoe is co-founder of the multifamily investing firm Four Oaks Capital, which currently controls 485 units and 21 million in AUM. He's also the host of the very popular podcast, Diary of an Apartment Investor, which brings an experienced and an aspiring investor together on each episode. He is an active duty Marine Lieutenant Colonel stationed at the Pentagon Good news, folks. He's going to retire this summer after 20 years. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. This is fun. Absolutely. And before we get started, as a fellow service member, mm-hmm. I salute you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> Army chaplain, if I'm not mistaken, right? That is correct, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we love our chaplains. So I appreciate what you do. And I, you. All right. So let's get started. So, Brian, you've mm-hmm. interviewed a ton of of people from all walks of life in this business. And you've learned a lot and you shared a lot. And we'd like for you to share for our listeners, what have you learned is the best way for passive investors to get started? You know, the best way for passive investors to get started, I think the first step for everybody is to get a little bit of education. And if I could back up a little bit, you know, for a passive investor, even before you get the education, I think the first step is to really define your financial goals right? Because number one, every investment opportunity has a certain amount of risk and a certain amount of of reward and an expected return profile, right? So, you know, if you are a passive investor, know what you're looking for first, because different types of multifamily investments have different return profiles, you know? So if if you want to do cash flow, you know, you're looking for something that's stabilized in a long-term hold, Mm -hmm. all right? If you're looking for growth, you know, you're looking for something that may be a new development or a heavy value add. So there's different types of investment profiles, even within the multifamily space. So number one, know what you're looking for. And then number two, start to educate yourself about, you know, what is multifamily and what makes a, uh, I'm not going to say safe investment, what type of investments match your risk to reward profiles. Exactly. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, what are the guarantees for this? And we tell Mm -hmm. them it's, there are no, as with Mm -hmm. any investment, whether you're in the stock market, whether you're doing bonds, whatever you're doing, there is no absolute guarantee, but knowledge is the key, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. All right. 
So Brian, how did you get started? We talked about that this is, you're still working at the Pentagon. How did you get started? Who enlightened you on the, on the world of uh, multifamily investing? You know, it, it came gradually. You know, I think, you know, when I was younger, you know, a friend of mine, my, my best friend and I, even in high school would talk about, you know, how we were going to be rich, you know, and that, that was really it. And we ended up, you know, living in a couple of apartments together. And a couple of times we say, man, we need to own the apartments, you know, not live in the apartment. So that started early. And then, you know, September 11th happened. I decided to go active duty after September 11th. And, you know, from there, I, I met a couple of people who had a handful of single family homes. Their investment philosophy was, you know, move with the military, buy a house, move again, buy a house, move again, buy a house. And I thought, I can do that. About the same time, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which really kind of opened my eyes and kind of put a little bit of fuel under the fire for me to at least grow a real estate portfolio. But incidentally, when I read that book, he talks a lot about commercial real estate, okay, and apartments specifically. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. That's a bridge too far. It's complicated. I can't do that. And so I did what was comfortable and what was something that I felt I could do, which, which was single family, you know, bought a couple of single family homes and then got distracted, you know, had three deployments in a five-year period plus another year overseas where you know it just slowed that train down. And when I decided to get back on the train, I did a little bit of math. You know, I, I got two degrees in math, right? So it comes easy to me. I pulled out a spreadsheet and I'm like, okay. At this point, I knew I was going to go a full 20. I was probably at my 16-year mark. I was at the point of no return. And I was really looking at planning for the future. Okay. I want to eventually never have to work again. And I started looking at how many of these single family homes am I going to need to get there? And oh my gosh, the answer was 60. And I was just like, oh my goodness. you know. And I was looking at buying one house per year. And I'm like, okay, I'll be a hundred when I can retire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, okay. What if I, what if I buy two houses a year? Okay. You know, and then, then you, you scale back and you're like, okay, instead of a hundred, now I'm going to be 60. I'm like, right. right, Okay. That's, that's not, you know, and incidentally, I mean, I, I learned later there was ways to accelerate that, but I was looking for ways to accelerate that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And fortunately I read a book about multifamily at the time and it was just like, light goes on. So I put a lot of effort into learning multifamily. Every time I had a free moment, I had earphones in, I was listening to podcasts, I was listening to audiobooks, you know, either like a self-help variation or specific apartment investing. And then I got to the point to where I started walking properties and started looking at things. And from there, the realization was, how do I know if this is a good deal? You know, I love the idea of apartments, but I don't, I mean, I could buy this. I got enough money to put a down payment on there. I can buy this. How do I know if it's a good deal? And I couldn't answer that question. So from there, I sought more detailed education and I I paid for a coaching program, which I think was really a catalyst to a lot of things. You know, got into the coaching program and I learned how to analyze stuff. I learned how to realize, okay, this is a good deal because the numbers prove it. And that was really, um, and that, that's kind of the progression, you know, went from single family to multifamily. And you know, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, mm-hmm. since, since I started the coaching program, which was almost three years ago, you know, we've closed on almost 500 units. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Brian, I know I heard you speak before and you're mentioning how you started answering a lot of the sites and blogging a little bit. Not so much blogging, Mm -hmm. but you'd get on the sites and you you chime in and give people advice. In doing so, you earned as much as you were giving out, right? Is that right? Is something like that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that happen there. You know, so I started, there's a couple of Facebook groups that were dedicated to multifamily. And then the, the paid coaching program had its own forum that was just multifamily investors, you know. 
And in both these forums, it was largely a bunch of people trying to get it done. Not a whole lot of experienced people in there. So people would ask questions and I'd realize that I had the same questions. Mm -hmm. And and quite frankly, at first I was looking up the questions, you know, I was Googling that, you know, I was, you know, going into the pulling, opening up one of the books on my shelf, looking up the answer and I'd post the answer. Mm -hmm. And what I realized later, I didn't, I didn't think this was going to happen. And I didn't do this because of the result, but it started, you know, separating myself from the pack and people started looking at me differently Mm -hmm. as somebody who knew what was going on. So just that level of me trying to give back Mm-hmm. elevated myself in those communities. And eventually I was able to attract partners. It was all from trying to help other people, posting as much good knowledge as I could. And pretty soon, you know, I met a guy named Eric Shirley and we knew each other because he was doing the same thing. He was posting answers. He was doing solid things. And that was definitely a big part of, you know, number one, my education, but two, being able to show, to prove that I could provide value to others. And hence I was able to attract partners to me instead of having to beg, borrow and plead for people to take me on as MIT. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Good. Great. So speaking of adding value in education, Mm -hmm. quickly, let's talk about your podcast, Diary of an Apartment investor. Mm-hmm. Love it. Thanks. Who came up with the concept for that podcast? You know, that was a group thing. We we had decided that we were going to launch a podcast and we were at a big real estate event. Okay. And what we had decided was a very vanilla podcast. You know, it was bring on somebody experienced and talk to them and then done. At that big event, we talked to probably two dozen people who said, I'm starting a podcast. I'm starting a podcast. I'm starting a podcast. I'm starting a pod." You know, everybody we talked to was starting a podcast. And, you know, we went back to the drawing board and we're like, we don't want to be one of many. We have to do something different, something to distinguish ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we started looking at what our objectives are. We started looking at our avatar. We started looking at who we naturally appealed to. And, you know, Eric and I were already taking calls from aspiring syndicators and helping them out. And we still do. I mean, our time is, is limited. So I, I wish I could do it to everybody who wanted. But we realized that that was a good way to give back and a good way to establish ourselves and find investors as well. So, so yeah, we decided to make it an edu- more of an educational and more direct educational so, you know, the aspiring investor gets, you know, gets about 20 minutes worth of Q&A with the experienced investor, you know, and it's, it's real every time you can't, it's unscripted. It's just straight out. What do you want to ask? Hey, I got questions about underwriting, or I got questions about raising capital, right? Or what do you do when you own the place? You know, there's a lot of just really good questions that come out and really good discussions. Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's blowing up. Which is better for passive investors to know how to analyze a deal or to know on a personal level, the syndicators or the team? And can you separate the two? I think you can separate the two. And I think you should separate the two. Um, You know, I I think knowing how to analyze a deal is going to help you to understand what the team does, but it's not, it's not the only way to get there. You know, I would say, and incidentally, I'm getting ready to passively right now, all of my passive investments are in four oaks. So I'm talking with a couple of people about passively investing my retirement funds into their investments. And I am looking solely at reputation. I know how to analyze. Okay. I am not looking at their numbers. I can, and I could look at their numbers and, and know exactly what they have on paper and tell you whether it's good or not. But if you know the syndicators, if you 
or the sponsors and you trust them and you can trust that what they put on paper is good, I don't think you have to look at the numbers, you know? And we, we've had a lot of passive investors who have actually, you know, called us up and wanted to go line by line through the numbers. Mm-hmm. I think that's the wrong approach if you want to be a passive investor. Now, if you want to repeat the process, if you want to be able to do what we're doing, we'll walk you through it. You know, And I, I think that's the time where digging into the numbers is probably warranted. And yeah, we'll walk you through our numbers. We'll tell you why we have 720 on you know two-year rents instead of 730 or 710. But uh, I think end of the day, it's a trust game. You've got to trust the sponsors and you have to, I mean, however you need to build that trust, you know, right. do it. Right, right, right. Good. So what do you look for when first analyzing a deal? And what mm-hmm. do you and your team look for initially that stands out and says, you know, this is the one, let's move ahead with this one. Yeah. So a lot of things, I mean, we, we do a, a quick sniff test, but you know, we're, we're typically trying to get something to produce about 15% annualized returns. Mm-hmm. All right. So in general, we're looking for something that has some sort of value add component. Mm-hmm. We're looking for something that is a little bit behind what the rest of the market is doing. You know, so if the average, and we look at B, we look at mainly C class, do have two B class assets, two of the eight. Um, but yeah, door count, it's about 10% of what we own is B class. But okay. so, you know, for, first sniff is we're looking at, it, does this meet our, our criteria? Is it a C class? Is it a value add? Is it in a metro or in a city or a, an area that's expected to grow? You know, those are the three big things. And then we start diving in the numbers. Is it lagging behind in some reason? So if, if the market rents in that area for C class apartments of the same vintage, same year, you know, if, if all the comparables are 50 or $100 ahead, on average rents. Mm-hmm. You know, then we start digging a little deeper. And of course, another real quick metric is price per door. You know, we keep a, a, our finger on the pulse of a market. So, you know, the price per door is, is one of the things that we quickly look at. And we know in certain cities that, you know, in, in this place, you know, price per door for C-class stabilized is 50. You know, in this city, price per door for C-class stabilized is 45. In that city, it's 60. In that area, it's this. In that area, it's that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's another really quick comparison we can make make. You know, so if the ask price or the whisper price is higher than what we think the you know the, the market um, can support, support. Mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're not going to be very interested. You know, because I think there are a lot of things that are just overpriced. There are a lot of people who are out there putting offers in, and that's inflating a lot of things. You know, so access to capital, it, it's I mean, it's relatively easy. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's relatively easy to find capital right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think with the the relative availability of capital, a lot of people are putting in offers and those offers are pushing prices up. So it's a little bit harder. I think it's harder to find a good deal because some people, quite frankly, are just overpaying and that leads to you know, reduced returns for everybody else. Right, right. And I know you've seen just in the few years in these last, Mm -hmm. since 2016, the multifamily Mm -hmm. investing market blow up. I mean, at first it was a little bit harder to find or people weren't exactly into it, but now everybody, it seems like, like you said, Mm -hmm. everybody's doing a podcast. Everybody wants to be, make a quote unquote quick buck, which we know this is not your quick buck uh, industry at all. But there are some red flags that you look for that you see. And I think you mentioned it, it's like overinflated Mm -hmm. properties or offers, right? And so- 
what are there some other red flags that say to, to tell your team uh, at Four Oaks that this is not the one for us? Or how far have you ever gotten? You're like under contract. When have you pulled the plug to say, you know what, we're not going to do this one? What what were the red flags? We've pulled one plug out of everything that we've gotten under contract. We've only pulled one plug. Um, incidentally, we a year later purchased that property anyway. So on that particular property, it was there was just some weird things happening with occupancy. So when we when we started underwriting the property, it was a 40 unit. When we started underwriting the property, it was at 87% occupancy and we wanted to get an agency loan for it. So we were talking with the owners. Uh, we were talking with, they actually use the same property manager that we had on a couple other properties. Hmm. So we we're talking with the owners. We we're talking with the property manager. We were talking with everybody and we we're like, hey, is this property going to get up to 90%? That's the, the, the benchmark. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were told, hey, they've got they've got this many units that they just finished renovating. We're bringing them all, all online. Mm-hmm. We'll be at 95% in two weeks. And so, all right, great. So, you know, we put the offer in and we just made it clear that we underwrote this to agency debt. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the rates were about four and a half to five percent. It's not like the 3.5 that it is now. And bridge was at six, you know, so bridge loans were roughly six percent at this time. Mm -hmm. And what happened is the occupancy just continued to go down over our due. I mean, between the time where we got the LOI signed, the contract to the end of our due diligence period, the occupancy went down to 75 percent. And it was just, you know, we looked at it and we're just like, we looked at the loan options. Okay. No longer could we get a Fannie or a Freddie because it's not stabilized. And we looked at the bridge options and it just didn't work at 6%. Mm-hmm. So we let it go. We actually closed on that one last December. So about a year later, we we put it back under contract. Um, unfortunately, we put it back under contract for 300000 more than what we had under contract in, in, in 2019. But yeah. the numbers made sense and the debt made sense. We got a bridge loan on this one. This time we got a bridge loan on it at four. Oh, flat, nice. Four yeah. flat. You know? yeah. And so with that debt, we were able to pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, you know, the market had risen that much in that time that had we not paid that amount somebody else would have. Yeah. So yeah. Jumped on it. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. No, it's it's good to know because, you know, you can get so close. And Linda knows my story of a property similarly, where it was a year ago that didn't, it didn't go through and then they Mm -hmm. circled back around and we went under LOI and contract and then funky things started happening with the seller and it didn't all make sense. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. no, we're going to pass on this one. So yeah, incidentally, it was keeping touch with the brokers and letting them know. And first of all, we didn't drop out of the contract. Okay. We offered to extend the contract is what we wanted to do. We said, hey, we are still interested in the property. Mm -hmm. We think that it's an absolute fluke that your occupancy dipped like it did. Mm -hmm. So let's extend the contract. And we wanted to give them 30 days to bring occupancy up and then Mm -hmm. give us another, you know, 60 after that to close, you know, Mm -hmm. which would have got us back into the agency realm. And their answer is we don't want to have it tied up for that long. So they're the ones that that backed out. But we messaged, you know, through the broker. Incidentally, the owners of this property were at the same brokerage that offered it to us, but they weren't mul- they weren't in the multifamily section. They were like in the finance or the, the industrial section. But uh, so we just kept on telling the broker there, hey, we're still interested. We're still interested. We're still interested. Would it make sense again? We're still interested. Yeah, I see. You know? And that yeah, was that's, uh, that's key. Mm-hmm. that was key to getting it back under contract a year later. You know, when things had stabilized, mm-hmm. when money was turned back on after COVID. You know, mm-hmm. we were able to to get that four percent. It was nice. it was a lot easier. Nice. So. 
So what are the biggest mistakes you see passive investors make? Oh, passive investors. You know, that's a good question. I think some passive investors, I think too much analysis and there's a lot of analysis by or paralysis Paralysis. by analysis or or whatever the term Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are just throwing their money at the first deal that comes by, you know, Mm -hmm. so they're chasing numbers. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a call with a good friend of mine. You know, we we had made an offering, and he wanted he had, he had basically told us that he wanted to invest fifty thousand with us. And mm-hmm. I've been friends with him for about five years. And he called me or he emailed me. I don't remember. He contacted me and he said, "Hey, your returns are this. The other people have higher returns." You know, I, I think a mistake is chasing returns. Okay, because any syndicator, any sponsor can put a number on a piece of paper. Okay, exactly. it, it's like the Tommy Boy, the guarantees on the box. You know, yeah. type mm-hmm. stuff. I can put a guarantee on, but uh, you know. Any any sponsor can put a number on a paper. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think one mistake that people make is if they have three or four offerings, they'll just look at the projected IRR and chase the projected IRR. Okay, but you know, once again, I think what is more important is what goes into putting that IRR on paper. How conservative is the group on the estimates, yes. and how sure are you that these operators are actually going to perform? to that IRR, you know, how much of, and I think another question to ask is how much of that IRR is dependent on the operators versus dependent on market conditions, Ah, you know? So Mm -hmm. if you're forcing appreciation and one thing, you know, our, our three-year projections for rent bumps Mm -hmm. are exactly what the market rent, rent is today. You know, so if we're, if we're purchasing a property where the, the market rent is currently 800, Mm -hmm. we are trying to get it up to 800 in year three. So we're not adding, you know, a 4% multiplier on that Mm -hmm. every year. We're not assuming that rents are going to go from 800 to 900 in that three year period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're, we're basically saying we are going to fix the property up. We're going to improve the management. We're going to do everything that we can to bring things up to today's market rent three years from now. And that's a hundred percent on us, you know, and really, unless the market goes down, Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to hit those numbers. It's in, yeah, it's up. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if somebody else is is doing a similar thing, they're saying, "Hey, market rents eight hundred now. Three years from now, it's going to be nine hundred. All right. Mm-hmm. I think you got to realize, you know, what part of the returns are achievable by executing a business plan, and what part of the returns are dependent upon future market growth and rent escalation, mm-hmm. and lean towards the projects that are business plan executable. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be more secure returns, and you know, typically. Typically, since the way we do it, our numbers are going to be lower. You know, yeah. we might say 15 on a property. Another group will underwrite the same property and they'll come back at 21. Right. It happens. Right. It does. Where do you see multifamily apartment investing going? We're already what wrapping up quarter one, right? And so, you know, we've got a new administration. We got new rules. You know, we got no rent, rent collections through September. Good time to invest. You mentioned overflated markets. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Nobody can predict the future. You know, mm-hmm. it's what what I like about multifamily is there is going to be a stable and predictable demand over the future. Okay. Our population is increasing and there are migrations inside the country. Okay. If you look at where people are moving to and where they're moving from, they're moving away from high cost of living. They're ma- moving away from high population density and they're moving away from colder areas. And they're moving to areas with lower population density, lower cost of living, and warmer areas. So what areas are growing 
And the areas that are growing are going to have an increased population demand. Okay. So when you look at or increased, not population, increased population growth, but they're going to have increased rental demand and it's supply and demand economics problems. So we are focused in the Southeast and a lot of the money on the East Coast is moving from North to South for all the reasons that I stated. And the Southeast is the benefactor of a lot of that. So, you know, where is the overall market in the US going? You know, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. I think prices are going to continue to go up. I think the demand for purchasing assets is going to go up. There's a lot of money out there and people want to invest in in assets, in tangible assets, uh, as opposed to the stock market. So I think the pressure for the prices is going to continue to rise. And I think that's, you know, that is also the same pressure that pushes cap rates down. I think we're going to see rising prices because of how much available money there is in the market to be placed into alternative, you know, quote unquote assets. But, you know, you got to, if you pick your markets right, I think you're going to be on the right end of that stick. And, you know, Southeast is killing it as far as that goes, Intermountain West and kind of the Mid-South. Those are the areas that are, are doing best. I'm not saying you can you can't find a good deal outside of those areas, but those are the right. areas that are getting the most money and the most population growth. Thanks for that. Yeah, that's what we've been seeing as well. Thank you. Yeah. So, what's next for you and your team, Brian? Oh, uh, we got a lot of stuff on on the burner, you know. So, a couple of things. Obviously, the podcast is going to keep going, but we're we're ramping up to a, an educational platform. You know, something we we truly believe in educating investors. Um, so, you know, passive investors who have invested with us are going to have access to basically you know the same type of pay for play program that you know we went through getting to where we're at. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing is we have a, a cash flow concierge program which we we kicked off recently. We've closed two properties and have our third under contract. And that that program, we're basically, you know, if somebody wants to buy their own multifamily, but for some reason is having a tough time, we'll help them through the process. You know, so we closed on a 28 unit um, where we had two investors that uh, pulled their money. And that 40 unit that we closed on was actually part of our cash flow concierge program where we had one single investor write one check because, you know, he wanted, you know, he wanted to own a higher percentage of an asset instead of being, you know, one out of 50 investors in something. So, you know, the cash flow concierge program is something that we're just kicking up in, into high gear. Looks like we're going to hire somebody here in the near future to to help us run that. Um, and then we're just going to continue to uh, invest where it makes sense, when it makes sense. And our philosophy is quality over quantity. And um, incidentally, you know, this is, we, we've gone two and a half months without a property under contract, which is the longest we've ever had because we're holding out for that quality property that we know is going to hit the returns that we want. I like it. I love it. I love it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking time to educate us and our listeners and uh, share some really good insight. I really, really appreciate it. Where can our uh, listeners find out more about you and about Diary of an Apartment Investor? So the the websites, we've got two websites. If you're interested in, you know, cash flow concierge or potentially investing, fouroakscapital.com. If you're interested in the podcast, it's on every podcast directory, every podcast app. We also have a website for that, Diary of an Apartment Investor. Dot com. We're super simple. You know, we like to keep our name and put a dot com on the end and turn it into a website. <laughs> it makes total sense. Thank you again, Brian. Really appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Thanks, and thank ladies. you all for joining us. To show our appreciation, we'd like to offer a special gift. Be the first person to contact us through our website, multifamilyinvestorladies.com. And we'll be sure to send you a free book to help you advance your passive investing journey. Linda, why don't we send Poor Dad, Rich Dad, the one Brian mentioned. And of course, we'll have Brian's info on our website as well. So Mm -hmm. why don't we send people that one? That'll be a good one. 
That's a, a great one. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's a great book. Yeah. They call it the yeah. purple Bible in the industry. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. Yep. Folks, if you enjoyed this episode, and I know you did, please take a second, leave us a five-star rating right there on your favorite listening platform. And if you like what you hear on the show, find it helpful and want to learn more, go ahead and hit subscribe. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And remember, it is never too late to start passive investing in real estate with the Multifamily Investor Ladies. Thanks, Emil, for listening. For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing, or to reach Linda or Lisa directly, visit us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Berkwood Capital and Freedom Capital Investments. Your hosts, Lisa Hill and Linda Brooks, remind you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investing journey. And they'll show how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.